The Beer EDU Podcast, Episode 38, the crossover episode with Sons of Technology. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. Hey, Kyle, what is up? Hey, Ben, how you doing, man? I am good. It is uh, another great day. It's been super busy. How about you? Oh, yeah, super busy is kind of an understatement here, so... <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. Being busy is always a good thing, in my opinion. So, yeah, you are back at school. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Sons of Technology podcast. Wait, wait a minute. Wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. Joe, what are you doing, dude? What am I doing? Um, I was about, I was trying to record an episode of the Beer EDU podcast with my buddy Ben here. What are you doing? You're sitting around our table. This is this is our clubhouse, right? I mean, why why are you recording well, another? Pod? Are you are you, what are you doing? Well, I thought the, I thought the whole agreement was that it's a clubhouse for anybody yes. that is looking to take risks and improve education, and that's something Ben and I like to do. Yeah. But we just like to have beer with it. Oh, that that actually sounds really good. Uh, ben, Ben, yeah. I haven't actually met you in person yes. yet. Ben, hey, what nice to up? meet you. Great to meet you. And- uh, Sorry for crashing your clubhouse, but you know, as Kyle, as Kyle says, we're we're open to everybody. So right. I mean, I, I appreciate this. Just Kyle, a little heads up would have been nice, right? I mean, it, it's it's kind of kind of awkward me walking in, starting our podcast, and 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 seeing seeing somebody else across the table. Well, I I, I sent you the calendar invite. I guess we must have got crossed up and uh, double booked it. So you know what? The way I see it, why don't we just do this then? Why don't we do the Beer Edu podcast hosted yes. by Sons of Technology? You know that go. sounds that sounds really good. You know what? I, I brought a couple of our other members here as well. We have a uh, we have Corey and David here. So David, Corey, come on, come on, sit around the table. Let's let's get this thing started. All, All right, right, Kyle Anderson, and beer. Yeah, well, right. tell you what, let's let's do this. We'll go around the table. I'm Kyle Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at Anderson EdTech. I also have my blog at AndersonEdTech.net. And then for the Beer Edu podcast, we have my buddy Ben here. So yeah. Ben, how's it going? I'm good. I'm Ben Dixon. You can find me on the Twitterverse at bdixonnv. Um, same on my Instagram, and I'm doing good. And then so cool to have more people that we can talk to. Yeah, Ben, thank you so much for yeah. letting us. You know, I guess crash crash your well, podcast. I don't know. We crash crashed. Yeah, yeah, we did crash crash. <laughs> but you know, thanks. I appreciate you guys doing this in in the clubhouse. This is this is fantastic. So I'm I'm Joe Marquez. I'm one of the hosts of the Sons of Technology podcast. And you can find me on the Twitterverse at Joe Marquez Seven Zero. I'm an educator out of the Central Valley of California, and I'm super happy to be here, at least as a as a guest on the uh, Beer Edu podcast, which sounds awesome. Uh, David, what about yourself? Let's introduce you. Oh, good morning. Uh, this is David Platt. I'm on Twitter at Hair Platt. Uh, why is that? Because, well, uh, former German teacher, and I'm never going to change it because that's always part of me. So H E R R P L A T T. Um, and you can find me also on my uh, blog at organoteched.com uh, from SoCal and uh, currently a computer science teacher. Corey, what about yourself? Hey, my name is Corey Coble. I am a seventh grade science teacher up in Northern California around the Sacramento area. You can find me on Twitter at CVRScience7. And I'm super excited to be here for my uh, two favorite podcasts. 
Yeah, and you were actually on the Beer EDU podcast a while back as a guest. So welcome back to the show. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, welcome. Now, this is normally, Joe, where you and I will, we've got everybody introduced. Now we'll introduce a topic and then we'll start going into a great conversation regarding whatever our topic for the day is. But the way Ben and I do things, we always like to have a beer while we're doing that. So, Ben, why don't you tell us real quick a little bit about what you have brought into the clubhouse for your drink today. Okay, so I uh, picked up at my local Costco a giant pack of New Belgian mixture of beers. And you know the typical ones, uh, you know, your Fat Tire, your Voodoo Ranger. But then they had this one in there that I'd never had. And it is the Mural Agua Fresca. And it is a 4% ABV, 11 IBU, super fruity, like so easy drinking. It is very, very scary. Like, like this is a beer that will get you in trouble. Well, it's only 4%, so <laughs> you is. have to have a lot of them getting super trouble. You, yeah, but it's, it's, it's like all of a sudden you look down and you go, I just drank that thing in like 30 seconds. I mean, it's well, definitely a lawnmower beer. Okay, oh, I was just go. about to ask, is this a lawnmower beer then? So, oh, yeah. Okay. I would say most definitely this is a lawnmower beer. But, hey, so uh, you have one of my favorites. Yes, so um, we are recording this on Saturday the 31st, yes. and mm-hmm. um, college football is starting this weekend. So yep. last night, Friday night, I went to the Nevada football game to when they played yes. Purdue, which um, won't get into great details, but – one of the best comebacks and yes. most exciting finishes to a game I've ever seen. And a true yep. freshman kicker earned a scholarship for hitting a 56-yard field goal to give Nevada a victory last yep. night. But I enjoyed at the game last night an Elysian Space Dust IPA. Yes. 8.2% ABV, 62 IBU, just a solid West Coast-style IPA. Right. That's a super good one too. So, so did they have it on draft or? No, it was in the ten dollar tall boy can. Okay. Okay. So, which you know you could probably get yes. four of those for ten bucks <laughs> at the store, but because it is a college football yes. stadium, they tend to jack the prices up a little bit. Um, Just a bit. Yeah, but and they don't have the best beer selection at that um, stadium, mm. but. You know what? It's it's a college football stadium. I can't complain too much. So, but no, it was just it was a good beer to start the night out with, and then um, even and an even better victory at the end of the game because again, it oh, was yeah. just so incredibly exciting. But yeah, that 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 sounds amazing. And hey, we have guests, and they have some beers that they're drinking. So, uh, so Joe, what do you have? Well, you know, one of my favorite places to go recently is a, a little town uh, just just west of Washington. Uh, called Bremerton, little tiny, mm-hmm. little tiny, uh, little thing on the Puget Sound, and they have this great brewing company on that on on the Puget Sound uh, called Dog Days Brewing, and uh, I went in there and I had to try one of their beers called the Yippie Kaye IPA, just the name. I was like, I have to try this, um, and it was actually really good. But it's it's nine percent, so this this isn't a lawnmower beer unless you have somebody else mowing your lawn and yes. you're drinking this while you're watching them do it. Um, <laughs> That's, that's a great that's, one. Yeah. <laughs> we have a new category. <laughs> so it's 75 IBUs. Uh, it's an Imperial Double IPA. Um, and so it, it does put a little bit of hair on your chest. Uh, and, and after a couple of those, you're feeling pretty good. So oh, luckily, yeah. the uh, the hotel is very close to that brewery. And uh, David, what about yourself? What are you drinking this morning? 
All right. Well, what I have is uh, something uh, from the brewery down in Anaheim, down in Orange County. Um, and they have uh, like a great mix of a lot of a lot of specialty beers. But this one actually is uh, turned out to be one of my uh, one of my favorites that uh, uh, and it is called um, Mash. And it is in a, it is a barley wine. Um, which is ends up being one of the discussions I think today, right? Yes, we will be talking about barley yes. wine. So we set this up just for you, knowing that this is what you were going to be having today. <laughs> so what you're looking at is something that has a really high alcohol content, and it's really hoppy, but it has super low um, IBUs, and it's uh, it's aged in bourbon barrels, so it gives mm. it that extra punch. Oh, we have definitely talked about bourbon aged beers on this show before, and oh, yeah. we enjoy our bourbon barrels here at the Beer Edu podcast. Yes, <laughs> very nice. So, and then Corey, you have something that is one of my personal favorites as well, also barrel aged. So, what do you have? Oh yeah, uh, you got to go with the bourbon barrel aged. I mean, if they're gonna have you know the one beer that's just you know your your go to, that's the Anderson Valley uh, bourbon barrel aged stout. Uh, a couple of my favorite things, stouts and a little uh, bourbon barrel aging there. Uh, 6.9, so it's, you know, it's a nice smooth, uh, you know, pour, uh, 14 IBUs. Um, Anderson Valley just does some great brewing. I've just been, you know, every time I have a chance to get see that uh, in the store, mm-hmm. I grab it. Have you ever had a chance to actually go to Anderson Valley and go see their brewery? Yes, yeah. Isn't uh, that a cool trip. little place uh, over in oh, Boonville? Oh, yeah, so, so fun, yeah. Yeah, so Boonville, California, if I remember right, from Santa Rosa, you kind of snake your way up into the hills a little bit through wine country, and then it is in the middle of nowhere, but, and their brewery is like, it's a barn, essentially. It's an old barn that they brew out of, and I mean, it's, you know, definitely modernized at this point. I'm sure when they first started, it was very simple, but just a great little brewery that does a lot of great different beers. And the one that you picked that bourbon barrel aged stout is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I have you to know, get it when I see it. That, that is the next big thing. You know, right now you have, you have a lot mm-hmm. of places that you can do events at, in wine country. Right. And, and right. I'm telling you, you know, the, the next big thing is going to be having, you know, events at, you know, the craft brew places. Um, they're going to, you know, build the barn. They're going to build the thing. Right. It's, it's going to be great. I think it's going to be awesome. I think right. I'm going to have a, a, uh, a rewedding is that what you call it? There you, you go. Know, there you go. Yeah. You know, I, I re, renew all the vows at that one of our local uh, craft brew places because they're pretty awesome. I can think Ooh, of like worse ways idea. to spend my day. So when that happens, Joe, True. you let us know. We'll be there. I think it. Joe, you have a new business right now. Is the uh, you know wedding planning at the breweries? Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah, we should start doing that. That's right. Wed- beer wedding. I, I, think, wedding. I think many, many, many people can go for that, oh, especially yeah. when you go go the fancy route of the bourbon aged barrels. I mean, that's oh, yeah. just that's when you have to drink, drink with your pink nice, mess. Nice sipping beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would say, uh, growing up, all the weddings I went to throughout my life, uh, they were beer weddings, but usually it was kegs of like Bush Light or something like that. So, <laughs> you know, actually, my my youngest sister uh, is going to be getting married uh, one week from today. Um, so I need to, I need to congratulate her uh, on this podcast because um, she's she's a, a great little sister and uh, her uh, her husband's a great guy, um, but they they would not have their their wedding at a brewery. They they wanted to have it at a church. So um, uh, you know yeah. they, they didn't take my idea. But if anybody out there's listening, you know what? Craft brew weddings. Come on, next there big we thing. go. Next big thing. There it is. And then we've got John Carippo, fan of both shows, that is ordained. He can be the minister for any of our 
weddings that we would have at the breweries. Yeah. We'll marry you for beer. Yes. <laughs> That's absolutely There right. we go. Let's give it so, 12 pack and good to go. So I love this lighthearted conversation uh, because it's a perfect segue into what we want to talk about today. And that's how to be less stressful and taking care of yourself as a teacher. And clearly beer is something that we all enjoy as a way to kind of take the edge off sometimes. But I I really wanted to talk a little bit more about how all of us do that here today. Mm -hmm. So Ben, you right now, I would say out of the five of us in here, you Mm -hmm. may be the one carrying the most stress right now. Would you agree? No, I, I, I think that's all relative. It's, it's relative to what you do. I mean, definitely administrators, it's, it's a little bit different, but I mean, I, I don't know. I think as a classroom teacher, even when I was a TOSA, it's a different, you have the same, you have stresses. They're just, sometimes they're a little bit different. I mean, so, so yeah, I, I think it's just your perspective and, and those kind of things. Definitely as a first year uh, principal, in a building, you know, you kind of don't know what you don't know. So sometimes I'm like, I don't know, should I be stressed about this? I probably should. I'm not really sure. Hmm. Ignorance <laughs> and, is bliss is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, and, and I am married and I am married to a veteran principal of 10 years. So, so I kind of have that perspective for someone to say, yeah, that's not a big deal. You need to relax. So there is that piece. So I think, I think it's more like just, just making sure you're, uh, I'm supporting my teachers and my students because I, I don't want them to be stressed. So, so we're, we're spending a lot of time trying to make it fun, trying to keep it lighthearted. Cause I think, I think that's the key. That's the key that like this job is, it's a grind. It's a grind and you gotta, you gotta have your ways to, to relax. And I mean, mm-hmm. and I don't know, Kyle, what, what, what are some ways that you, you found for yourself? Um, well, you know, really in the last couple of years, I have found my stress level to go I wouldn't say disappear, but it has gone down drastically compared to previous years. And I think what it was, was that I just started to realize that some things that they're just not worth stressing over Mm -hmm. because you get stressed over something and it turns out to be not nearly as big a deal as what you originally thought it was going to be. Or Mm -hmm. even if it was a big deal, it's going to go away at some point. So with me working in special education, so the thing that I will sometimes get stressed about is when I have an upcoming IEP meeting that I know Mm -hmm. is going to be a bear, I will sometimes get a little bit stressed out about that. But then I start to realize I know what I'm doing in my job. I am always well prepared. I know how to communicate and I always communicate well with everybody that's involved in the process. And then we have the meeting and even if it's one of the most awful things that you've ever had to do in your career once it's done it's Mm -hmm. done you don't have to worry about it anymore so i've really started to realize that there's just some stuff that it's not worth stressing over over these last few years and um and and that's really helped my mental capacity out tremendously no I i think you're right i think there's some things you can control and some things you can't like you said it i think the biggest thing I know as a classroom teacher and then and then in other roles I've had, it's that prepared thing. Like, like I know, like, hey, I can fake it with the best of them. I've been doing this long enough to kind of, I can wing it sometimes, but I definitely, my anxiety will go up in that situation. I have to be, I have to be prepared. For sure. So, and we have a wealth of knowledge yes. about these kinds of things too, along with us here. So, um, David, why don't you share a little bit about your experience with stress and like how you handle that at this point? 
Well, well, first off, I, I want to I want to go back to something that you said, um, Kyle, because it uh, made me think back to the Serenity Prayer. And do you know the Serenity Prayer? Um, no, I am I'm not. Okay, well, the Serenity Prayer is from uh, Reinhold Niebuhr, and I actually had to pull it back up to actually make sure I quoted it right. And uh, and it says, "God grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, current uh, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference." So, I I got uh, from what you're uh, what you were saying about things like IEPs and those things that can be high stressful. You know, you necessarily can't change the high stress out of that, but um, you can you 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 can't and you necessarily can't change that, but you can walk into it, you get it done, and then once mm -hmm. it's done, it's it's done. No, that's um, actually I mean almost spot on to what I was kind of relating because I, I'm not a religious person and I'm not. Um, aware of a lot of the the different things, and I definitely was not aware of uh, of the Serenity Prayer here. But that that is a perfect description of what I was saying, and that I just un, I ignorantly did not know that. So that, but thank you for sharing that. That that that's great. So um, some something for me that that I have to do for for stress relief. Uh, I I have been a tinkerer since uh, since a very young age, and what I find always uh, important for myself is that I can, I, I have to go back to one of my, to go to my hobbies to actually help me uh, disconnect. Okay. I disconnect by connecting other things together, um, basically. So um, what I think is important for, for especially for teachers is that we, if we have a hobby, we need to make sure we actually, we spend time actually trying to do that. Um, and uh, because that can, that, that helps get us a, into a place where we can we, we detach from from the the day-to-day -day stresses and the reality of life so for me um tinkering is a is a huge thing and one of the things i do out of that actually is i fly remote control airplanes um and that in itself could be stressful if you think about the plane crashing but that's all part of the experience i guess um but uh i also do i i find i find a in in just building models and putting them together and doing all of the, the hours and hours of work to to uh, to build them and then see them fly is a is a huge satisfying thing for me and to be able to just go out and spend a couple hours on a, on a weekend when I can to just be outside and fly around my planes and be with my be with my son who really likes it too and yeah, that that for me is a is a great way to have a stress relief, and um, so I'm gonna always go back and say, hey, if you have a hobby, try to spend time with your hobby a little bit every week if you can, because it is a great way to disconnect from the realities of life. I I totally agree that the you know this you have to have that little side, it's something that gets you excited. Um, after the long day, you're like, hey, I can't wait to get home too. And it's fill in the blank, you know, it's something that you enjoy doing. Uh, I think that's very, really important. For sure. Awesome. And what I think a lot of people don't realize is that a hobbies are great. And I'm glad you brought that up. But a lot of people, they won't make their time for their hobby a lot of times. Because what they'll sometimes do is after a long day, they'll come home and just say, boy, I'd really love to do whatever it is their hobby is. But I'm just so exhausted and I have to take care of this. I got to, I got to cook dinner. I got to do all these other things. 
and then I'm just never going to have time. And then I have to sleep at some point. And a lot of people, they just don't make that time at that point. And, and I'm definitely guilty of this sometimes. So I, over the summer, I was doing a great job of getting out on my bike and putting in a few miles on most days. But then over the past few weeks, once school has now started back up, I've kind of gotten away from that. And it's, it's so much better when I, when I do get out there. And even if it's only just riding to the post office and back, which for me, round trip is a little over a mile, just that couple of minutes on the bike going to get in the mail and coming back is does wonders for me sometimes. And I really need to make sure that I make that time because a good bike ride does not have to be an hour long and 12 miles or something like that. Again, if even if it's just that like 10 minutes, you rode round trip a mile or so or whatever, even mm-hmm. that can uh, can do wonders. And I think that's the case with any hobby or activity. Well, also in, in when you go out for that mile, um, you have your thoughts to yourself, right? You don't have other influences at home and maybe pressures of, of things that you have to do on your list that are there. So you can actually disconnect and just be by yourself. Yeah. Now, yeah. We, we need that sometimes. I started, uh, you know, I'm, I, I live about three miles from my school. So um, I started riding my bike to work on the days that are nice. Um, actually started riding my bike to work. I, I do the same thing because I live, I live probably a mile and a half from my school. So I, do, I ride my bike and it's, I, I agree with you. It's, 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 a, it's like a head clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like going I, to I, work I, early too. I used to ride my bike to school, and when I when I finally got there, I could not stop sweating. Right? Did you guys ever have that? I mean, yeah. And, and that would cause a little bit of stress for me right there. Even even when I was I was driving, I was, you know, pedaling in the you know 30 t- 32 degree right. temperatures, I'd, I'd bundle up and I'd be nice and warm. And then when I get to the classroom, that body temperature never went down. And so I had to ensure I got there at least an hour right. early yeah. just to make sure I cooled down. Yeah, all, you almost have to pack a bag in order to take yes. a shower or something yeah. when you get to work. I, I actually had one of my one of my uh, cabinets in my room was a closet, <laughs> so I'd have there different clothes to be able to wear. Yeah. Oh, I I used to do that when I worked farther. I would because I rode quite a bit, and I would I would always have a change of clothes there. Because you're right. I mean, even even when it's 45 degrees, man, you're working up depending on how far you got to go. But mm-hmm. that... yeah, I worked at a school years ago where. I actually lived across the street from the school. Uh, and, and and a lot of people would think right away, like, oh, that must be terrible because, you know, then, you know, you can't get away from your students at all because they're all in the neighborhood. But it was a magnet school, so the kids were kind of coming in from mm-hmm. different neighborhoods. So I honestly didn't see a lot of kids. But what was great about that was my walk. I mean, it was five minutes. Because when I say across the street, it was the, the complex I lived in was across the street from the school. So I had to snake through a couple of the the small side streets in the complex to get over there. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, it was a five minute walk to get to work. And I, now I'm drawing, but I think it was uh, David, you mentioned how your thoughts are to yourself. And in that five minutes there and five minutes home in the afternoon, you, you have nobody to deal with, but yourself and your own thoughts. And whether it was thinking about what you planned on doing in class that day or something that was upcoming. Um, and then in the afternoon coming home, just kind of debriefing about what you did that day and how things went in the class, which that's another thing we could talk about on another episode someday is about reflecting on your practice and t- taking that time. That five minutes did wonders 
for that reflection piece from that walk. And I'm sure those of you that have been riding to work now or in the past, you had the same experience with that. I think mm-hmm. some of my best uh, lesson plans came from the ride into work. Mm-hmm. You know, you're really not worrying about, you know, long-term planning, but this, hey, I got this really cool idea. Let's try it. You know, and I think that mindset too really helps is like, you know, let's uh, don't stress over, you know, every little detail. Right. And yeah, some of my, my best ideas came from the either the drive or the ride into work. It was it's, it's the best way to do it. Well, and I think I think that you've tapped into something there is that idea of like when you you're doing something else, sometimes that can help you process through, um, you know, things at work, uh, situations, conversations and things like that. I mean, do you guys do you guys find that to be the case when you're you're doing your 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 thing to make you relax? It helps you process those other things. Yeah, I think Corey's, oh, yeah, Corey's right on. You know, David, you too. I mean, it's when you're out there doing something. You know, it's you're 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 focusing on something which I guess it allows mm-hmm. part of your brain to kind of you know go in and reflect and 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 kind of create. Because when I'm when I'm running or I'm on the treadmill, you know that's what's happening, right? I'm I'm sitting there going over some tools. Like I'll think of Flipgrid and go, how can I how can I turn it on its head to make this a reality? Or I'll think about something else. And and I I wonder if there's you know some scientific evidence that shows when you are working out, when you are you know putting in some effort uh, towards towards something that maybe another part of the brain is, is active because, because Corey, I I've experienced exactly what you've, you've, you've talked about the, some of the best lessons that I've come up with happened during uh, some, some ex- exertion of, of the body. So I, yeah. I wonder if there's anybody that has any, you know, actually evidence that that actually occurs because it's, it's great. I'm going to start my, my science class. where We're going to work on that. Hey, next, that'd be a great, uh, a great uh, science fair project. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Our science well, fair project. Take it I out. think, I think what, what you're, there, there actually is the scientific evidence for that, uh, Joe, and I think what that goes to is um, the idea of neuroplasticity, right? And so you are doing something else, and it helps to reset your brain connections mm-hmm. right? by doing, you can actually, by just doing something else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can get into, if you get into a pattern and then you, you change that pattern, your brain has to actually work to Re, realign the, the synapses. Now, I'm not a scientist, of course, and I might be completely far off, but I think um, I think there there is totally that in, uh, in, is a scientific basis through if you look at neuroplasticity. You know, so we're, this this we're we're talking about self care, right? And mm-hmm. and I've actually been been looking on uh, a Twitter recently, and I, I've seen a lot of teachers, whether they're new teachers or veteran teachers, um, just say like, "This year's tough." Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can handle it. And I, I see a lot of, of of my friends on Twitter saying, hey, can you can you, uh, re, uh, you know, comment to this teacher she's having or he's having a hard time? Um, and I see that a lot. Right. And and I, I go back to when I first started teaching and man, was I nervous. Right. I, I had something called imposter syndrome. Like mm-hmm. I'd be standing in front of these students going, you mean I'm the adult here? Like I'm in mm-hmm. charge of all these kids of, 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 of bringing them up to what science is and. I would be super nervous that I was the one in charge of that. And I mean, literally, like I would go home under such duress every day, my first year teaching that my hair literally started falling out in the, in the shower. I mean, like you can, you could see it in the hands and it was because once again, I was overthinking things and Mm -hmm. I would, I was not, I was not, I was not telling myself, um, Hey, look, you went through years of schooling. You went through, you, you know, your science inside and out and, and you connect really well with these students because I'd been coaching football for a while. And mm-hmm. so I really had to calm myself down and remind myself, you're here for a reason. 
if, if you weren't prepared, you wouldn't have been hired. So I had to really constantly remind myself that, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm doing work um, to really benefit these kids. And so I had to, I had to remove myself saying it's, it's not about me. It's about these kids. And I have to present myself the best that I can to get these kids the best that they can. And so when I really focused myself back on the, the reason I was there right. and, and, and got rid of that imposter syndrome that I really finally started, you know, coming into my own. So I, I'm wondering if any of you kind of had that same experience, because I know there's people listening to this that are going through that right now. And so I really want to see how did you guys get yourself out of that funk or, 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 or if you, you didn't have that funk, if you had another teacher that was in that funk, how did you help them out with that? Well, I think, I think you hit on that idea of, of Simon Sinek calls it that, that power. Why? Like, like, why are you, what is your purpose? Why are you here? I think that's where it starts um, is just to remember that. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's that opportunity to, you know, uh, reflect and look at things, um, maybe try to do uh, different ways. Um, I like just, you know, researching and, you know, trying things out, you know, 28 years in the classroom now, I've never done the same thing twice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the low stress of my classroom is that I don't have to like, you know, uh, plan everything down to the last detail, um, every last little minute, you know, set, um, you know, the years of experience has really helped me um, relax a little bit more in the mm -hmm. classroom. You know, I, I like that idea. It's kind of like, you know, build the plane while you're flying it, but you know you're building a plane, right? Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> you know, some people are building a plane and they don't even know they're building a plane. Uh, but but you, you, you understand where you're going. You understand what the kids need to learn. Um, but you're willing to try new things on the fly, pun intended, mm -hmm. so that you – can really make a dynamic experience for your students. Now that could be super stressful to some people, right? Cause some people are super planners. Right. Um, and, and, but, but as long as you kind of have a skeleton of what you want to go over, you can cherry pick all these different things that you've, you've done, or you can mash together to really make that dynamic learning experience. And I, I think that's really important because um, I, 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 I talk to teachers all the time about this idea of Tamasha. Um, which is the idea of uh, in, ensuring it's it, Tamasha is an Indian word that means fun, exciting, important, and uncertainty. And I think that teachers need to embody that because they need to know what they're doing in the classroom um, is fun. And, and I don't mean like, you know, every day is like rainbows and unicorns, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're going to have stressful days, but it should be fun because you know you're changing lives. But the biggest mm -hmm. part of Tamasha is uncertainty. You shouldn't have to be certain your lessons are going to go okay. And if they right. don't go okay, you should be able to change those up at, in, in that reflection process. And so I think if teachers can really embody that Tamasha, that can really start creating self-care because it really, it really allows them to try new things and not be worried about if things work or not. Joe, I'm really happy you brought that up because I, I see this and I've seen this throughout my career is I, I like to plan and I am very type A in various aspects of my life. And, you know, for example, road tripping, I, I'm not one of those people that can just, let's just drive and see where we get and we'll get a hotel when we get there because I don't like that thought of getting someplace and then then there's no hotel. Then you got to drive another hour after driving for the whole day or whatever. But at the same time, though, I do like to be relatively spontaneous and let things go as they flow um, in the classroom. Put together a skeleton, put together a shell for your lesson and 
make sure you're addressing your standards and what and the goals of that lesson. But at the same time, when things happen, let it let it come together naturally. I see a lot of teachers where they try to plan things out to the minute, and then if anything just gets in the way of that, then it throws everything off, and then their mm-hmm. stress level goes up. And yeah. um, when it comes to what the material you need to get through you plan it out like we are going to assess this learning on this day we're then we're going to start this unit here then all of a sudden they get three days behind because they needed to spend extra time to teach a concept or mm-hmm. a student brought in an idea they wanted to know a little bit more about something so then the class spent more time on it but then that teacher's all stressed out like oh now we're behind i don't know how we're going to finish now i gotta trim this stuff out of here and move this around and that is what causes more stress, in my opinion. Whereas if more people were able to just kind of let things go more naturally, more organically, there'd be a lot less stress. And ultimately, there'd be a lot more learning going on as well, in my opinion, because teacher, or excuse me, students would feel comfortable in asking questions that aren't necessarily spot on to what they're learning about that day, but it's related. And mm-hmm. if more teachers could do that, I think you'd see a lot less stress in the classrooms. Yeah, I think you're you're right on. Um, you know, there, one of my one of my favorite quotes is from um, the Flash television series, and uh, Captain Cold <laughs> says, oh, yeah. you know, he goes, uh, "What you do is you make the plan, execute the plan, expect expect the plan to go off the rails, throw away the plan, right? Yep. And 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 if you if you have this 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 lesson plan that's planned out to the T, that doesn't allow you any uh, differentiation or wiggle room right. to allow the students." to direct the learning, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and an example of that is you can have the best PowerPoint in the entire world, right? And you're going through it and a student raises their hand and says, hey, I want to know a little bit more about Mars. You're like, well, right. that's that's not in the PowerPoint. Yep. So, you know, <laughs> Sorry, we're on slide to... seven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. So you, you want the students to be able to direct where the com- class conversation is going, right? And so, you know, having a differentiation to occur uh, from not, not only from day to day, but from period to period, can really kind of stranglehold the learning experience and the discovery process of the kids, right? And so we really have to make sure teachers understand that. You know, like 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 Kyle, like you were saying, you know, don't have everything planned out word for word. <laughs> Just have a skeleton, and then as long as you're reaching those learning outcomes, those aha moments, then whatever happens during the day happens during the day. You shouldn't have to really stress about because mm-hmm. the, the the unpredictable. Uh, that happens in the classroom is usually the best thing that can happen to your classroom. The things you never thought were going to happen to create those aha moments, they happen spontaneously. They, they don't happen in a plan. And, and I think that's what teachers need to understand is when you start going off the rails a little bit, that's when the path to discovery actually occurs. And I, and I think teachers need to really embrace and embody that. Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the, uh, all the teachers have to be on the same page, same unit, same lesson, same everything. Um, there's some point to that. I get it, but you know, I'm not kind of one that's like, has to stress over the, oh my gosh, I, you know, taught it the exact same way as the other teachers. Um, I don't think that works out because I don't treat my students that way. So Corey, I, I'm wondering, has that ever caused you stress or has that ever caused, uh, I don't want to, I, I guess animosity is kind of too big of a word to, yeah. to, to call, but has, uh, has that yeah. ever caused like a rift between you and the rest of your department? Because oh, yeah. they're like, we're all doing this and you're going off the rails and doing this. Yeah. Are they, has that ever happened? Well, I think it causes some sort of like, you know, I don't know if it'd be stress, but uh, you know, definitely some 
some levels of uh, differentiation between the teachers. Um, and then, you know, you're getting pressure from, you know, higher ups, maybe that says you have to all teach, you know, this unit and then all do the test and then all compare your data. Um, but you have to teach it, you know, the exact same workbook, the exact same pages. The, I'm like, no, I, I want to do it my way. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it has caused an actual, you know, some, some differences of opinions, I guess. Um, some teachers handle it better than others, I guess. Yeah. I don't think animosity is the wrong word to throw in there. I don't think that's too strong word because I have had a similar experience where we were expected to, this was the unit you were going to do these things on these Mm -hmm. days coming from our administrator, our supervisor. And it definitely, it didn't cause animosity between teachers. It caused animosity from teachers towards our supervisor because Mm -hmm. of expectation, because we felt that we were handcuffed and how we could teach it. And it kind of took away our freedom of teaching. And then our lesson plan template that was expected of us, it took more time to write the lesson plan than it did to actually teach the lesson, which I, that's another, again, that could be another episode about lesson planning someday. I would love to hear from Ben about that because now that he's an administrator, I want to hear how that happens. Like, do you have to tell your, 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 your department, Hey, you know, we have to hit these goals. We have to do these common assessments or are you like, well, you know, we're going to do these, but you can get there any way that you want. Well, I, I would say you can get there, but I am a big believer in a common assessment. And here's why, because to have a true PLC, you have to be able to talk about something you have in common. So we always start with standards. So what is your standards you're teaching? And I know my teachers have different styles, but at the end of the day, if we're going to meet and talk about students and how our students do it, I want them to say, Hey, why did you like Kyle, why did you get this result? And I didn't like, what did you do? I think that's the power of it. So I'm not one of those ones. I don't, if I go into a room and someone's on page 12 and the other person's on another page or they're showing a video that's related to the content. Okay, perfect. Cause that, that is reacting to student need. My fear, especially in elementary school is sometimes people can, instead of, instead of talking about what they need to teach, it's about what they like to teach. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden we're like, whoa, you're out here in left field, which is still interesting. But at the end of the day, I mean, is that is that going to align to what the best outcome for that student? I mean, it, that's, that's very interesting because in elementary, I, I have seen teachers kind of kind of do the majority of their teaching for the subjects they like or they know yep. the most about. Like mm-hmm. I, I always see science kind of put on the wayside um, right. as, as kind of like the well, if we have time, we'll do a little bit of science. Um, but they're always doing English and math. Um, so, so that, that's great. That's great to hear because I guess you you do need an administration to step in and be like, Hey, look, you know, we have to treat all these subjects equally, or you have to put a little bit more time into that. So that's, that's a really good point. And, and I think a lot of teachers, you know, they don't get to hear that side from administration a lot. Mm -hmm. They, 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 they just assume that you're, you're being an administrator, you, you lost what teaching's about, but you know, administrators have goals they have to reach as well. And they have to really steer the ship. And so, Ben, yeah. I think your input right here is extremely important. Well, and and I think I think at the end of the day, I mean, whether we agree with it or not, we're judged by data at the mm-hmm. end of the day. Like and, and it is really hard to sit across from a parent and, and the parents compare schools. It's it's what they do and they compare scores and all those things. And I don't think I don't think data one test is the end all be all of a of a student or or a teacher. It's but it is a data point. 
it is a data point that we have to talk about. And and if if we're not if we're not all kind of coming together and saying this is what we expect fifth graders to know by the end of fifth grade, then we're we're just guessing at that point. And you know, we could we could have a whole episode on 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 data oh, yeah. and, and testing. But <laughs> have you ever seen kind of this feedback cycle where you have a school that has great test scores. So parents mm -hmm. bring their students to the school because it has great test scores, yep. but those kids are already great test takers. So it, are, it just increases the cycle of this school has great test scores, right. but you see the innovation has kind of been, kind of been stymied because like, Hey, let's keep doing what we're doing because everybody has really good test scores. Have you ever seen that happen at all in any, any schools that you've been <laughs> involved in? Well, I, I think, I think that that is exactly the danger because what happens is you can't maintain like, like, so when we look, when I look at, look at, for in my case, when I look at what kids are doing, I look not only at their proficiency, like how are they proficient within that center, but are they growing? Mm -hmm. So if we're not growing kids, and I, I mean, and I include those kids at the 95th, 99th percentile, like you have to be growing those kids. So if you're still doing the same thing every single day and expecting a different outcome, it's never going to happen. You have to be more yeah. creative at the end of the day. So I, I think you're exactly right. You get in, that is that danger of that loop that it just becomes, uh, you think you can maintain that momentum and eventually you can't, you know, kids, kids just get really good at taking tests and, yeah. and that's not, that's not the, the measure of a good student in my opinion. And not only do they become good at taking tests, that's what they become accustomed to. So, you know, if, you, if they're doing that year after year after year, and then they get a teacher who wants to kind of change things up, you mm -hmm. get students who kind of complain a little bit like, oh, can't we just take a test? Can't we just do a worksheet? Because they think it's easy. Right. <laughs> yeah. And and then, you know, you, they go home to parents going, oh, this teacher's doing all these different things. And then right. they go, hey, can you stop doing so? I, I had a student that went to administration saying, Mr. Marquez uses too much technology. And we had a parent meeting <laughs> and, and they're like, well, you know, can, can you can you give this student, you know, just, you know, analog work and this or that? And I go, well, let's ask her why she doesn't like the technology. And they asked her and she goes, well, because Mr. Marquez can see when I turn things in or not instantly. That was her oh, thing. So they never yeah. really, you know, asked the student why they didn't like it. Uh, but a, a lot of students, they, they like things a particular way. And if they see something right. as an easy skate by, they'll, they're going to want to continue that. And I think well, that's why it's, it's important for teachers and educators to push the boundaries and to really shake things up. You know, kind of like going back to that workout analogy. If you work out the same way year after year, right. your body becomes accustomed to it. You need to shake things up so that your body doesn't know what kind of workouts happening next. Well, and I and think I, that's the way we need to approach teaching. I worry about those kids because they've never failed. And mm -hmm. what happens right. to those kids, like I, I encourage, I'm like, I want my teachers pushing kids to the point where they're, they're going to make mistakes and that's okay. Cause that's how they learn. Hmm. So Ben, what I want to do is, uh, um, mm -hmm. you, you taught, we're talking about a common, common assessment. Now, something that my, uh, my school does and I'm at a high school, is they have a common writing assessment that mm -hmm. everybody does every year. We all do it on the same, uh, all the students do it on the same day. So they have ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. Now the English teachers, um, they can vary what they actually teach during the course of the year, what books maybe that they do or maybe right. they, what they focus on. But what we have is, is that we have that source of data. Yes, and data does, can drive, really drive instruction, right? right? Um, uh, and where students are at uh, in ninth grade, then they can see their growth through 10th grade, they can see mm -hmm. their growth through 11th grade, through 12th grade. So are they seeing an improvement in uh, their writing, their syntax, their structure, um, and, and their format? Are they getting better? Are they improving? And, you know, we, we use that as a, as a 
real um, big data point at my school. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I have to I have to agree with you, you on that. You know, we, we do data does drive our instruction. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not just uh, you know a free for all. We need to see <laughs> right. We need to see where we where we're where we start, and we need to see where we finish, and um, you know, hopefully we have improvement uh, throughout that. Yeah. And I'm back yeah and i'm a big fan of like um like good data that really shows you know right. uh student growth and stuff like that um i heard a term um autopsy data and uh it's like a lot of times at like schools and stuff like that we look at the uh data after the fact yeah um i'm a big fan of uh you know how's this kid doing right now what what are they capable of right now so i can help them um, get that data get that information immediately and i think the technology is going to be the way to do that um, it helps me um, be a better teacher. Um, I'm a little bit more like aware of things, and I think that reduces a lot of the stress in the classroom for the teachers. Um, you know, like who are data driven. Mm -hmm. um, try to get that live data. Use Google Classroom. Use uh, spreadsheets. Use something to help you get you know real time information, and don't wait for after they're dead to go. Oh yeah, that's probably what they should have not done anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think you need that formative right there. That that's the mm -hmm. key. It's the formative. It's formative data that, in my opinion, that's what drives instruction. Not yes. not that that the big state test at the end of the year. Yeah, the kids are gone at that point. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right, well, and I do. I sit and talk with my teachers about that, and we look at their data. But then the question is like, okay, what have we done? We should have some markers as we move through the year. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. Yeah. Really. So the big yeah, question, is, though, okay. is that like how do we how do we handle the stress of this though? Because all of this right. stuff that we've talked about can be very stressful. So it's something oh, yeah. that has to be done. And go, going back a little bit, if you're working at a school where your supervisor has expectations you don't agree with in regards to um, the common planning of lesson plans, and you're going to do this on this day or whatever. How do we deal with that stress? Because I, I mean, I could go on and on about my experience years ago with that. And I will straight up tell you, I didn't handle that stress real well. And it caused me a lot of different issues. So what are some different things that we can do here that that would help people out in that situation? I think you have to have a mentor. I think you have yeah. to find a mentor. And I don't mean a, I don't mean one that somebody imposes on you. I, I think I think you have to find your person to like and definitely like everything you guys talked about veteran teachers you know that stuff so with new teachers i think it's important that they find a, somebody that can help guide them through that process yeah i say to reach out to your pln um mm -hmm. go to conferences uh go to uh, uh sessions um that you're interested in and then you know meet the presenter uh talk to them because they obviously know what they're doing because they're presenting um and uh you know ask them if they can, you know, help you out and, you know, make your lessons better and easier and more useful. Um, but yeah, reach out to that PLN, get out there, um, find that group of people that you can just hang out with and uh, de-stress and talk about it and get ideas. I think that's a great uh, opportunity. And that is a super important point. <laughs> we have to have our, we have to have our, um, our mentors, our friends, our network to actually connect with because if we're, if we're out there on, on our own, I, I think it will just, uh, it will, will devolve basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it goes, it goes back to that Bible verse, you know, walk with the wise, become wise, right? You know, if, mm -hmm. if, if you're doing it alone, you're doing it wrong. And, and I think a lot of teachers kind of fell into that trap 
over the years, right? It's, this is my lesson. I made it, you know, it took yep. me hours to make it. I'm not going to share it. Right. And, and it, it, it takes some time to, to kind of free yourself from that and, 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 and ensure that whatever you make belongs to the teacher verse. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to everybody. Now, if you want to throw something on, you know, teachers pay teachers, you know, and, and a teacher comes along and goes, oh, I'm going to get that. That's fine. But then you should also be, be giving that away somewhere else. That's, that's what I truly believe. Because when we, sh when we share, the only people who gain are students, right? And that's who we're trying to make a difference for. And so if we hoard, we're not helping out students. And, and so yep. I think that's where, where we, we have to come into play is, you know, the, the stress of teaching happens when you're doing it alone. And the, the idea of being able to breathe when you have your PLN because everybody's sharing information, experiences, stories, lessons. I think that's when people finally go, oh, I haven't been doing this forever, right? That's what happened to me when I met all of you, right? All of you make me better because you share experiences, stories, lessons. And I can reflect on that, tweak it a little bit, and then give it to my kids. So the things that you are doing and changing the lives of your kids also changes the lives of my kids. So I think sharing, I guess sharing is caring, right? And I think that's extremely important that, of uh, idea that teachers have to realize um, and that, that you know, many hands make light work. And, and teaching doesn't have to be as hard as we make it out to be when we implore our PLN to help us. And I think reflection has a lot to do with that as well. So we had mentioned earlier about the where a lot of teachers just don't reflect at the end of the day, like we had talked about on our bike rides or our walks home and whatnot. But there's a lot of other different ways to reflect as well. And I think everybody in this room right now does a really great job of that. I mean, we are reflecting whenever we, we record, man, I can't talk right now, one of these podcasts, whether it be the Sons of Technology or the Beer EDU, we, we're, we're doing a great job of reflecting. Most of us in here are writing blogs that are reflecting. Ben, you have a great blog that you can't do anymore really because you're so busy, but there's some great reflection on previous posts that you've had in the past. And But there's so many different ways to reflect that. If you make some time to reflect and then going back to David about hobbies, making time for yourself, whether that's mm -hmm. flying model airplanes, whether that's going on a bike ride, whether it's maybe you're you're getting into playing video games more, whatever it may be, if as long as you're making time for yourself and you can incorporate reflection at some point, there's going to be a lot less stress and you're going to be able to take care of yourself a lot better. Yeah, I hear it a lot too. It's like, well, I don't know what I, you know, I don't have a hobby. I don't have anything. Um, you know, I don't have any like specific hobby. My main hobby is like learning something new. Um, I go on and I try to figure out how to do it and, um, you know, making survival bracelets for camping trips, you know, uh, learning 3d printing, you know, taking that on as a hobby is, is something too. So don't, don't think that just because you don't have a hobby, uh, just learning something new, trying something out. Um, and then, um, I, I was going to say, um, I think the episode that, uh, the, with the uh, failures, uh, not everything is rainbows and unicorns. I think that needs to be out there more. You need to go out on Twitter and the internet and find those, you know, epic failures by teachers in front of their administrators and say, you know what, look, Hey, it was okay. I'm still here. Um, I learned from it and let's move on. So, you know, dealing with the failures in education is also very, very important to um, our continued uh, career. Yeah, and sharing those failures outright as well. Yes. Right. Because, you know, as Kyle always says, you know, it's people just share their wins and not like their failures. And those wins probably happened after 
you know, 10, 15 trials and reflection and, and, and making it better. Yeah. And so letting teachers know, hey, this took me 20 times and I finally got it right. Yeah. Right. And so letting them know that, hey, you know what, it's, you're not going to do this the first time and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a piece of cake. You're going to have to tweak it to best fit your kids and best fit your class. And so really embracing failure as a learning tool instead of as, you know, a hindrance of, ah, I'm not going to do that now because I failed. And the key point that you made there, Joe, is highlighting the win, but the process that it took. So yeah. I've mentioned on both the shows in the past that it took me three tries to get my Google Certified Trainer uh, badge and, and certification. So so that was something that when, when I talked about that, I was stoked that I finally made that. But it wasn't just, here it is, look at me, guys. I'm a Google Certified Trainer now, whatever. It, it was talking about the process. And then more recently... I went through and did the Flipgrid Certified Educator Level 2 badge, and it, it wasn't something that was hard, but what it did was it made me look at Flipgrid as a tool and how I could use it more effectively and then try different things and totally fail in different aspects of it and then then get to it. So, which, I mean, not, it's not a huge thing or whatever. It's not To me, it's not as big as the Google Certified Trainer one, but even then, though, just just learning more about it. We talked about that in the certifications uh, episode at one point about, you know, doing these things as a learning process and there might be some stressful moments or whatever with it. But again, at the end of the day, it's not a make or break kind of deal with a lot of these things. And, and if people tried new things and didn't take themselves as seriously in the process of that, accepted the accepts failure things will be a lot better off and everybody's going to be less stressed. Yeah. Yep. That, I mean, that, that just happened sure. to me recently um, over the summer I ran my first marathon and, you know, spent months and months training for it. And, you know, the night before I had serious doubts. I mean, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. This is, you know, this is a big one, 26.2 miles. Mm. And I was looking at the map where I was going to park and I'm like, Hey, that, I'm parking right near the finish line. I could just like sneak in and get my medal call today, you know, sleep in. Um, but you know, what good would that have come? And so, you know, you got to push yourself through those uh, moments of doubt, even if it's a lesson, you're like, Oh my God, this is not going well. The kids are, you know, out of control. You know, they're talking to each other. You got to embrace that and say, you know what, they're discussing what, you know, I want them to discuss. That's great. Some of them are, may not be, but you got to push through that and, you know, have the experience good or bad it's still an experience yeah ab absolutely and and Corey, we, you were talking about earlier about you know your your hobby is just learning you know something new mm -hmm. right you know just just making yourself better because you have the time and or you, you have the the want to do that like i used to at the end of the school year i'd say here's five projects that i want to do to my backyard yep. pick one I was like, I don't know how to do any of these. Pick one, and I'm going to learn how to do it all on myself, and I'm going to post on Instagram that the kids would follow me on pictures of the progress. And so because of that, I learned how to lay uh, lay pavers. Because of that, I learned how to do uh, electricity and, and run electricity out to a gazebo. I learned how to build a gazebo, right, all from, <laughs> YouTube, all from YouTube, and I would post it to show the kids, look, I don't know any of this stuff. But because you asked me to do it, I'm going to document that, and I'm going to show you that I'm doing it, right? And then the kids would really be like, oh, oh, we, we can just use YouTube, not just for learning how to find the best hiding place in Call of Duty. We can actually <laughs> learn it 
to, to learn new things and, and better ourselves. So I think modeling that of showing kids like, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to learn how is extremely important for kids to see. And it's great for us as educators because it kind of puts our mind kind of in a different perspective of starting from scratch, just like our, a lot of our learners do. Well, gentlemen, I think the overarching theme that we hit on today really is the overarching theme of a lot of episodes of both of these shows is how, you know, failing, accepting failure and taking out a lot of the stress from that is going to make you a less stressful person by accepting it. And then, you know, David bringing up the idea of hobbies and if people focus more on hobbies and making time for themselves, I think it's going to make for a lot less stressful classroom, a lot less stressful teachers. But our listeners that are out there from both of the the universes here, we really would love for you to keep this conversation going with us because we yes. value your input and we love interacting with you out there when you do. So as for the Beer EDU podcast, if you want to contact us, you can email us at beeredupodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us at beeredupod. Uh, we have a hashtag beeredupod as well. We have a Facebook page, Beer EDU Podcast, all one word. Our Instagram, at Beer EDU Pod. That one tends to be more um, interaction with um, the beers that we are having and where we're right. drinking them at. So that one's always uh, very fun. Um, and then we have also got the voice message feature using the Anchor app. You send us a voice message through there. We will put you on the podcast but if you want to be on the podcast you can visit our website beeredupodcast.com contact subscription info link and complete our guest form and we'll get you on um now joe you and i have been doing sons of technology for a while how can people contact us for that show yeah absolutely so we we have uh, our twitter handle sons of tech edu and we, we love to hear from you. We love to hear what you got out of the episodes. We love to hear uh, maybe comments or suggestions about future topics that the roundtable can discuss. You can also visit us on sonsoftechnology.com uh, with all of our blog posts and uh, presentations that we give across the country, as well as links to all of the uh, podcasts that we've done. And, and Kyle, I believe we also have the voice uh, feature turned on uh, in the Anchor app, so you can leave us any comments or messages. And, and the big thing is, you know, we really want you to be a member of our team. Um, all the listeners and and the team that we we, we have is the EdTech Army. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's 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 because you know if you're doing it alone, you can make a difference in your classroom. But if you're doing it with an army, you can make a difference across the world. And so that's what our EdTech Army is all about. So we would love for you to connect with us um, on our Flipgrid and and tell us why uh, you want to be a member of the EdTech Army, what you teach, and who you are. Um, and then we want to feature you at the beginning of our podcast to let you know that we appreciate you and we appreciate everything you do for our kids. Um, and so Sons of Technology just loves teachers. Uh, we, we, we love everybody who's making a difference in the world. And we would love to hear from you um, to see how you're doing that and how you're hacking and innovating in your classroom to benefit those kids uh, on a daily basis. Right on. Yes. And now this is normally where we wrap things up with Sons of Technology and uh, wish everybody a great day and everything. But Ben and I, we always close out our show with something a little fun here. So um, we yeah, always Kyle. do a segment called Learn About Beer. So and Kyle, yes. Tell us, tell us what we're going to learn about though. Cause this today, this is based off of a suggestion from David. Uh, he had asked earlier in the week and when we were planning things out, um, if we could look at barley wine, which is one of his favorite styles. So we're going to learn a little bit about barley wine today. So now first thing, it's actually, it's not a wine, even though that's in the, the name of it. Um, wine, according to foodandwine.com, is a fermented juice. And it was actually kind of funny when I read it. And it said, you can't juice barley. 
there's not really any liquid there no. that you can juice, so you're not going to be able to ferment it that way. Um, no, so where this comes from is it comes from the high ABV of the style, where what you've got is before IPAs and Imperial Stouts became kind of popular, which is basically what everybody was drinking here today was either an IPA or an right. Imperial Stout. Uh, beers average 4 to 5%, so not very high in ABV. But then this style, while not hugely popular, we're talking 8 to 12% ABV. So a lot of people compared this style of beer more to a wine than a beer. So rather than it being wine that's fermented from grapes or fruit of some sort, um, people would jokingly say that, oh, this is fermented barley, so it's going to be more of a wine. So, but it is a beer. It is it is made with the the basic ingredients: water, yeast, barley, and hops. Um, but the difference is is the amount of mash needed to get those sugars to get that ABV. Barley is your main beer ingredient. Um, so what you get is a beer made with a lot of barley, and then because of the high alcohol comparisons, wine that's your name, barley wine. Okay. Yep. Um, it's very malt forward clearly because of the amount of mash that goes in. So you do need a large amount of hops in order to balance it out as well. Now, American palates, we tend to like our hops. So American style barley wines are usually a lot hoppier. English style ones are a lot more mellow. They're more balanced. There's definitely the hops there, but the English, they, they don't hop theirs nearly as much. So you tend to get more of the malt forwardness on an English style one. And they can be very complex. Caramel flavors, bread, honey, molasses, toffee, and then when you get into the American styles, the hop additions can add pine, citrus, earthiness. Uh, earthy tends to be more of the common style uh, with the barley wine. They are darker, longer roasts on the malt, so you get like nice red colors, copper, almost to a black sometimes, depending on how long they roast. Um, the alcohol can be very intense. The first time I had a, a barley wine, I wasn't a huge fan of it because um, it was... It was like drinking straight gasoline, the first one I ever had. Uh, but eventually, I started to get into barley wines a little bit more and definitely appreciate those. So some examples that we've got, uh, David had on today his barley wine from the brewery out of Anaheim. But probably the one that most people would know, and Ben, I know you know this one and like this one, is the Sierra Nevada Bigfoot. Oh, yeah. That, that's one of my go-tos. Yes. Um where my old parts in Las Vegas, Tanea Creek Brewery, they make one called Old Jackalope. That is very good. Uh, Goose Island makes a barley wine that they age in bourbon barrels for their Bourbon County um, style beers. And that one is really good too. Bell's Brewing that we have talked about a few times in recent episodes. They make one called Third Coast. That's really good. I haven't had it in a long time, but um, I remember it being very good. Anchor Brewing out of San Francisco makes one called Old Foghorn that is very good. And then Firestone Walker's Hell Dorado is another one that is a very good example of this style. And that's a fun name right there, Hell Dorado. Yes, indeed. I've had that one. That one is super good. Mm. So now barley wines, they are starting to become more popular, but some similar styles that if you can't find a barley wine, a Scotch Ale is a, a fine example of one that's similar to a barley wine. These ones tend to be very malt forward and um, very high up in the in the ABV sometimes. Um, German Doppelbox can be as well, so which is another um, 
great example of a style that maybe we should feature on a future episode as well. Oh, yeah. that I don't think I've had one of those. They are amazing. So, but yeah, so that's a little bit about barley wine. Oh, right on. So, who, you know what? And I was for the longest time, I'm like, is it made with wine? I wasn't really sure. Yeah, and that's, and there was, I think there's a lot of confusion out there on that. And I mean, I even learned a little bit more about it. I, I didn't know where the name actually came from. I knew they tended to be higher up in the ABV, mm-hmm. uh, but I wasn't exactly sure of the whole process either. So, I actually learned a lot when I was researching this. Right on. Well, there we go. That is barley wine. So, gentlemen, um, you know, it, it started out a little bit rocky, um, crashing the clubhouse like that. But I think yeah. that was a pretty successful uh, little run we had. Yeah, I, I loved it. Ben, you're welcome in the clubhouse anytime. Oh, thanks, guys. I, I appreciate you guys having me. It was, it was awesome to talk with you guys. I love I love the podcast. So super stoked that we could do this. Yeah, this is great. It's, it's like two of my favorite things coming together. It's like Oreos and a, a, a nice cool glass of milk. Right. It's just it's comforting and enjoyable all at the same time. Just like beer with good friends. There we <laughs> That's go. Absolutely right. Crossing over from one side to the other. I love right. it. Very nice. So, well, so thank you, listeners. Um, whichever side of the platform you are listening to us on, whether it be Sons of Technology or Beer EDU, we hope that you start listening to both at this point. If you're not already, we would love to have you as a listener and we would love to be able to chat with you or take your suggestions for the show and whatnot and uh ben just like we always close things out my man may until next time may the bolts and the hops be with you right on